I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with J. Michael Daniel, president and CEO at the Cyber Threat Alliance. This interview is sponsored by Security Scorecard, the leading security rating company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including Pepsi, McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about Security Scorecard, visit securityscorecard.com. Michael, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Before we get started, tell us about your background. There's so much there. A lot of people in the industry follow you, but you'll do a much better job than I will on that. And then also about the Cyber Threat Alliance. Well, my name is Michael Daniel, and I have been in the cybersecurity industry now for about 15 years. I started in cybersecurity in the mid-2000s at the Office of Management and Budget, where I served as the chief of the intelligence branch. And that meant that I got to oversee the spending and management policies and resources for the U.S. intelligence community. And at that time, the intelligence community started asking for lots and lots of money for this thing called cyber. And no one in the White House really understood what this money was being requested for. So the director of my agency looked at me and another guy in a meeting and said, you two, go get smart on this cyber thing. And that kind of started me down this path. And I eventually kind of became the de facto lead for cyber resources across the U.S. government. And then in the Obama administration, I was asked to come over and be the cybersecurity coordinator for the U.S. government in 2012 and Obama's cybersecurity advisor on the National Security Council staff. And that's a position that I held from 2012 to the end of the administration in early 2017. And then since then, I've been at the Cyber Threat Alliance. And CTA is a nonprofit membership association that enables cybersecurity companies and providers to share threat intelligence with each other. And so what we do is we make it possible and easy for cybersecurity companies that want to share technical threat intelligence or finished threat intelligence products to do so in an easy manner with their colleagues across the industry. Well, if it's okay with you, Michael, although cybercrime is no laughing matter, I have to start off with a funny story because I'm looking at your board of directors, very impressive, and I see Jaya Balu pictured next to you, and she's one of the top people in our industry. She came on with us. We were producing a podcast series. So I'm interviewing Jaya, and the fire alarm goes off in our building, and I ignore it because I want to keep the interview going, and we're right in the middle and figuring, well, it's probably not really a problem. And she says, Steve, I think the fire alarm's going off in your building. I could hear it there in the background. And I said, oh, no, I think that's okay. And she said, no, you know, it could be serious. You really should go out and check. So somebody from our studio runs out, goes downstairs. And of course, the fire department's there. The building's being evacuated, runs back up, orders me out of the building. And lesson learned, caught back up with Jaya afterwards. People just ignore a lot of these threats or don't take it serious enough. So I, I always remember that every time I see her picture. Sure. Absolutely. It's a great story. So let's jump in. We're here today to talk about security ratings, cyber insurance, and a range of other topics. So let me jump in and ask you about cybersecurity metrics and KPIs insofar as CISOs presenting to their CEO and the board. How is a security team's performance measured? Well, the short answer is not well. I mean, I think that's actually one of our big problems across the industry is that we actually still have a really hard time measuring cybersecurity. 
how do I know that I am more secure today than I was yesterday because of actions that I've taken? How do I know that I'm less secure today because of a change in the threat? It's actually very hard to measure that right now. And I think that's actually one of the big struggles we have in the industry. And I think it's one of the big reasons that CISOs struggle so much with reporting to the board compared to a lot of other business units within a large organization is precisely because of that measurement problem. We have a lot of Fortune 500 Global 2000 CISOs who come on with us, and largely they're comfortable with the subject matter we're speaking to them about. But one topic in particular, security ratings, is really divided straight down the middle. We have some security executives who they just do not want to talk about it and will not talk to us about it. And then we have others who are very eager. So I find that interesting. I know that security ratings have brought more transparency to companies' cybersecurity posture, but it does cause some consternation. What's your opinion on the matter? Is it something that CISO should be talking about? And I guess part of that question is publicly to the media, to their colleagues. Oh, absolutely. Because I think it has to be part of the equation. Certainly, if you are a senior executive in an organization, you want to know what the outside world can see of your attack surface. And if you are presenting a lot of vulnerabilities to the outside world, you should want to know that and want to know what the process is for addressing that. I think the nuance comes in how do you understand that relative to other organizations in your industry? How do you understand that relative to the mitigations you've got put in place? How do you understand that relative to that external thing's actual impact on your business? I'll give you a concrete example from one of my early days in the in the government, which was that we started getting media reports coming in that the NYSE.com that was having problems so that somebody had hacked into this. And this started freaking people out until we explained to them that the NewYorkStockExchange.com was just a website. It didn't actually connect to anything about the stock market. It was just a website that you could reference for information. So knowing that you had perhaps some vulnerabilities in that website doesn't tell you anything about the security of the underlying business operations, for example. When you hear people that get concerned about some of those ratings, for example, that's an example of what they're concerned about because that entity, that thing that's being rated may or may not be directly connected to the business operations or the core drivers of a business. And so this is why you always have to put those kinds of ratings into context. But I do think they're an important part of managing your cybersecurity risk. That's some really good insight. And perhaps we can recruit you to do some of those interviews for us <laughs> because people need a much better perspective. So let me ask you, Michael, about the SolarWinds and Uber data breach lawsuits, other lawsuits in general, insofar as how they test the boundaries of personal liability for company executives. And you know, this is a very touchy issue. One of the key questions of one of the cases is whether the company exhibited standard of due care in its day-to-day -day cybersecurity practices. And I'm wondering how will this lawsuit impact how other organizations organizations handle cybersecurity transparency and measurement? Well, I also think that this is an area where we do need the case law to evolve, and we need to arrive at some decisions as to what is the standard of care. And it's probably going to differ from industry to industry and from the type of data that you're talking about. But just as we have standards that we expect, for example, banks to adhere to when they protect your money, protecting your online information as well, there should be some baseline expectations of what organizations that hold it are going to do. I think the issue, of course, is that 
since it's still hard to measure efficacy and to measure cybersecurityness, we're still stuck with measuring some other things and the standard of care being more on the input process side than on the outcome side. And I think the danger there is ending up more in a compliance world where Sure, you went through all the motions and you checked all the boxes. You were compliant with the letter of due care, but not really the spirit of it. And I think that's the danger of that. But overall, we desperately need the standards of care to evolve so that they can be understood across industries. There's been a lot of information coming out of the White House around cybersecurity in the past two years. The White House National Cyber Strategy shows the U.S. government will take a data-driven approach to cybersecurity across the public and private sectors. There's going to be an annual progress report on the implementation of the cyber strategy to, quote, measure its effectiveness. How can cybersecurity leaders across these sectors ensure they have trustworthy, reliable data that measures their cyber resilience and effectiveness? I think that's a very hard question right now. You could start going down a certain path. So for example, I also think it's important to not over-engineer the problem. We are not at a place where we want 85 different metrics. You want to have a few metrics that you can use, that you work out with your CISO, with other senior executives. For example, you may decide to look at your patching cadence and decide on where you want to get to in terms of your patching cadence. And that doesn't mean you're patching everything, right? It means that you are deciding what are the most important vulnerabilities that you have to address, and you have a methodology for determining that importance, and that you then have a process for addressing those vulnerabilities. It could also be that you start to measure things like time to detect. In other words, how long does it take for you to detect that you've got malicious activity occurring on your network? You want to start shrinking that time from weeks or months down to days or hours. How long does it take you to remediate once you have identified an issue, right? And again, you want to shrink that time. So you want to pick a few of those metrics like that and start driving towards increased performance on those. And I think that's the best way to actually show progress against cybersecurity rather than becoming overwhelmed with all the different possible permutations of things you could try to work on. And it's really deciding on those things that are most important to your organization as a business. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Why do we keep secrets? They're mysterious kept under lock and key, only available to a select few. But part of the problem with secrets is that they keep most of us out. What if we got rid of secrets, made everyone aware of their cyber risk, and transparency a priority? Knowing what's behind your security rating and where the data comes from not only builds trust, but restores it. In today's dangerous world of cybercrime, you need to know who you can trust in an instant, the risks you face, and who you can call. Security Scorecard is the security ratings response and resilience company. Security Scorecard created the trusted must-have standard for measuring cybersecurity. Because cyber resilience isn't built on secrets. It comes from knowing your strengths and identifying your vulnerabilities. The world needs a common language to interpret cybersecurity data and communicate risk. With accuracy and transparency, cybersecurity becomes a team sport. Know in an instant whether an organization deserves your trust and show others you deserve theirs. With 360-degree insights, you protect your organization, stay proactive, and preserve trust. To learn more, visit securityscorecard.com. And now, back to the podcast. 
all relationships in our lives are built largely on trust. So I want to ask you about that. PwC puts out an annual CEO study. They do a great job. And this year's edition focused on trust. And they found that 91% of business executives believe their company's ability to build and maintain trust improves the bottom line. And nearly 80% of consumers said that a company's protection of consumer data is instrumental to building trust. How do you think companies are doing in terms of being transparent about their cyber risk management strategies and their overall cybersecurity posture to maintain trust of their customers? I actually think that this is an area where we still struggle. And I think the reason the industry still struggles is we'll go right back to what we were just talking about in terms of standards of care. If the standards of care are unclear, if the bar against which you are going to be measured is unclear, then it's difficult for a company to be transparent about it. It's difficult for a company to be open about its cybersecurity practices. It's difficult for a company to come and be open about like, yes, we had this incident, but it affected this set of information. We contained it within this time period, and we don't think that it had any significant impact on either our business operations or our customer information. And we have confidence in that assertion. I think because of all of those things, it makes it difficult for companies to currently be as transparent as they probably ultimately should be in order to maintain customer confidence over the long run. And I think that's why developing those standards of care, developing those yardsticks, those benchmarks against which we're going to hold companies accountable and defining those, I think that's why that's so important because that's an element of being able to be open about your cybersecurity practices and then being transparent about it in a way that helps with customer trust. So, Michael, a recent Scientia Institute and Security Scorecard study found that 98% of organizations globally have relationships with at least one breached third party. That might sound like a very high, scary number to a lot of people, especially outside of our industry, but I think for those of us who follow it very closely, that's not so surprising. What role should increased transparency of cybersecurity ratings play in better protecting organizations from third and fourth party risk? I think part of the due diligence that you should be doing as a company is you should be understanding your suppliers and how their cybersecurity works and operates because their risk is your risk as a downstream consumer of their products or services. And so I think obviously just taking their word for it is part of it, but that's probably not totally sufficient. And what we really want are some ways in the ecosystem for you to demonstrate that just like you use auditors to audit your financial statements and the auditors, what does an audit actually say? The audit actually says that in our judgment, you can trust what this company is saying about its financial numbers because we've tested it, we've looked at it, and we think that these numbers are a fair representation of this company's financial status. And really, the things like security ratings are a way to start having that kind of third-party assertion that says, yes, you can actually trust what they are saying about their cybersecurity and about their status of their networks. And I think that's an important tool in starting to manage your supply chain risk, managing your third-party risk. And I think that is, at a fundamental level, one of the big issues that we face in cyberspace, which is that everyone's risk is shared. It's not just all entirely private, your own risk. It's actually shared across the ecosystem. 
So I want to ask you a question that all U.S. citizens would be concerned about, and this would be true of other countries. Recent research by Security Scorecard found that critical infrastructure organizations have concerning cybersecurity posture health. For example, they found 48% of critical manufacturing organizations have a C security rating or below. This is very concerning. What are the primary reasons that critical infrastructure organizations struggle to reduce their cyber risk? Well, I think there are several. One is that connecting it to the business operations has proven challenging in a lot of industries. I think one of the reasons that, for example, financial services is so far ahead is actually because they've had a much easier time connecting cyber threats and mitigations directly to the business. I can invest $5 million in this sort of cybersecurity initiative, or I can lose $50 million in cybercrime. Mm, let me see. Boy, that's a really tough one. It becomes a much easier equation. If you're in advanced manufacturing, it's like, okay, so what's the threat to me? What could actually happen? It's a more complicated calculation. I think it's starting to become easier as you've had things like ransomware become part of what the bad guys are doing, because then it starts being like, well, okay, if the plant is down, if I'm a manufacturer like that, I can calculate the impact on revenue very clearly. So I think making that connection historically has been harder. So that's why people are further behind. Then there's the question of how do you prioritize and how do you allocate the resources in a way that you know is actually reducing your risk? And again, we come back to how do you measure this problem? And are you actually focusing on the right things that will reduce your risk the most for the amount of money that you're putting in? And when I talk to CEOs, when I talk to leaders, one of the things that I emphasize is that you're not going to go from an insecure posture to a secure posture tomorrow, no matter how much money you throw at it. It's going to take time. And so what you really have to be thinking about is putting yourself on a path to improving your cybersecurity and that you pick the things that have the greatest return first and you kind of work your way through that just like you would any other series of investments. And then the second part is that you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, meaning that if you are improving your cybersecurity posture, no, you may not be getting to totally where you want to be, but that's certainly better than not improving it at all. And so that's, I think, a very important factor to consider. So I saved one question for the end here. It's a dumb question given your stature in the industry, Michael. I almost wasn't going to ask this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. So be gentle with me. <laughs> Security vendors, if I'm a CISO and I'm looking at working with a new vendor, really in any space within cybersecurity, should I be measuring that company and how should I be measuring them? If they have a brand name in the industry, they're well known, they've been covered, should I just assume they're safe to work with? So those are actually two different questions. If they have a brand name in the industry, if they're well known, if they have a good reputation, then they're certainly safe to work with. But I do think that as an industry, we need to start demanding that the cybersecurity vendors demonstrate that efficacy. How can they show that their product actually does what it says it does? How can they demonstrate to you that it actually functions as advertised, right, in your environment, not just in a bench or a lab somewhere? And how do they understand how their product interacts with other products? And what does it do and not do? 
because most cybersecurity products don't do everything. In fact, I would say all right now. They're mostly point products that are designed to address a few particular threats. So you're integrating multiple products, probably for multiple vendors. And so getting them to explain how their stuff actually works with someone else's stuff is a totally fair question to ask. And I actually think that pushing on these issues of efficacy and how do we know those are very fair questions to ask, and a good vendor should be able to answer them for you. So to close out, Michael, Cyber Threat Alliance at cyberthreatalliance.org. Your organization is doing such important work. Speak to membership, partnership opportunities, whatever you'd like the community to know. So many of us follow you, but for those who may not be familiar, please do. Well, sure. So we focus on cybersecurity providers. So those entities that are providing cybersecurity services to others. If you're interested in becoming a member, our requirements are that you be able to produce and consume technical threat intelligence and be able to share that on an ongoing basis, on a regular basis with the other members in the Alliance. In fact, we actually require our members to share and participate in the Alliance. We obviously charge a fee to run the organization. That's how we sustain the organization. But if you meet some of our requirements like that, please come check us out and send us an email to the email that's listed on the website, the new member email, and we'll be happy to chat with you. Michael, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by Security Scorecard, the leading security rating company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including Pepsi, McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about Security Scorecard, visit securityscorecard.com. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.